0: Father, we thank you for another opportunity to proclaim your word. We pray that you would bless the proclamation, preparation of your word for your glory and honor and for the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to look today at a text, uh, Psalm 46, verses 1 through 11. I want to read now in your hearing uh, verses 1 and 2, and we'll cover the other verses uh, throughout the sermon. The psalmist writes, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. I want to preach today from the subject, Transforming Truths for Troubling Times. Transforming Truths for Troubling Times. I want to talk about some biblical truths that will help us make our way through the troubling times in which we live. Of course, we're now living in days of chaos and crisis and confusion. We are hearing and seeing shocking events untold that most of us never imagined. The natural flow of life, the pace, the practices, the privileges, the uh, pleasures that most of us Uh, took for granted, are now gone. There's restlessness, uneasiness, discontentment, and fear concerning COVID-19. The number of infections and deaths from this dreaded disease continue to climb. And those numbers do not even take into consideration the psychological and the emotional impact of the disease among family members, friends, and society at large. Without question, these are indeed troubling times. Troubling times uh, were the order of the day that produced the writing of Psalm 46. Although we don't know for certain what the times were all about, some scholars believe that this psalm was penned during King Sennacherib's invasion of the southern kingdom of Judah. Those of you who have been reading through your a uh, one-year Bible, have recently read the story in Second Kings chapter 18 and chapter 19 of how Sennacherib, the king of Syri- Syria, threatened Hezekiah, the king of Judah. Hezekiah was a God-fearing king, a God-honoring king, and, and yet here was Sennacherib, the king of the Syrians, with no respect for God, no respect for uh, Hezekiah, no respect for Judah, constantly threatened them. You read about Hezekiah's, in your reading, you've been reading about, you read about Hezekiah's prayer to God and how God brought him out. Well, it was somewhere between Judah's distress and Judah's deliverance that the psalmist is believed to have expressed his faith in God, in in God who was greater and mightier than his troubles. So he wrote Psalm 46, 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth is be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Verses one through three of the text gives evidence that the psalmist did not panic, but rather he had peace. So how could such be the case? How could he have peace and not panic with all that was happening around him? The text gives three grounds for the psalmist's peace. First, the psalmist's peace was grounded in God's protection. The psalmist believed with every fiber of his being that the God he served would protect him. Notice the crisis. The psalmist mentioned several catastrophic possibilities. He said, though though the earth should give way, though the mountains fall into the sea, though the waters roar and the mountains shake, the picture is the psalmist's conception of the worst possible scenarios. But notice amid the psalmist's crisis, boldly stands the psalmist's confidence. His confidence is in God, for he says, God is our refuge. That is, God is our shelter. God is our covering. And then he goes on to say, but well, not only God is our, is God our refuge, God is our strength. He, he said that God is our power. God is our might. God is our force. He says a very present help in trouble. Now I want to clarify something here because the psalmist is talking about God being his refuge and strength and the refuge and strength for his people in trouble. In other words, the psalmist doesn't have an idea of God removing this mountain right away, but God is with him while they face the mountain. Here's the reality. Some of us have grown accustomed to. Uh, to, to things being removed quickly and taken care of quickly. If there's a hurricane, we quickly <coughs> clean it up and get back to business as usual. But that's not what the psalmist is talking about. The psalmist is talking about those long-range issues where God is still our refuge and still our strength. He's a present help in time of trouble. The psalmist says to the readers, he's saying to the Good Hope Church family, he's saying to the church university, universal that God provides safety in the storms of life no matter how long they rage and that God provides strength and that God provides power and that God provides the force to help us maintain our stability in life even while we make our way through the storms of life no matter how long they take the psalmist is saying God is our refuge, God is our covering. God is our strength, God will help us no matter how long it takes. For you see, no matter how long it takes for us to go through, God supplies all of the help we need in order to get us through. Second, the psalmist's peace was grounded in God's provisions. Look closely at the words of of verses four and five, four through seven. The psalmist writes, there's a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the most high. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall, watch this, help her. Just at the break of dawn, the nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us The psalmist says The God of Jacob is our refuge Verses 4-7 through give evidence of the psalmist's peace He knew something that his enemies did not know He knew something that Nerechirib didn't know Or anybody else who would have the audacity To attack God's people Living within those holy walls of Jerusalem He knew as verse points out <clears throat> Four points out that there is a river. Notice the words "there is a river." Now, to understand what the psalmist means and how important this is, it's helpful to know the background. During the days of King Hezekiah, a tunnel had been dug to bring the water of Gehan Spring of the Gehan Springs to a reservoir inside the city of Jerusalem. The enemies of Judah, the enemies of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, did not know that God's people living behind those walls had an unending, unfailing, unfaltering flow of fresh, clean water to sustain their lives even while they were under the enemy's attack. In other words, Sennacherib and his forces could wreak havoc on the outside of the walls. But inside the wall, the people of God were full and flourishing because God was providing them with life-giving water. Such is life for those of us in Christ today. To be sure, disaster and devastation and destruction are words commonly used to describe, describe life as we now know it. COVID-19, social injustice, political and economic disorder, disruption and disturbances are all a part of modern day society. Yet people of God should live in a perpetual state of joy. A perpetual state of satisfaction, a perpetual state of encouragement, knowing that the God we serve, in spite of it all, will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. There's never been a time when God has not provided for the needs of his people regardless of what they were going through. Even as I was preparing this sermon, the Spirit of the Lord carried me to a story in 1 Kings 17, uh, verses 18 through 15. It's a story about a widow who lived in the town of Zarephath, during a drought. There, There was a drought, and... And people all around were were dying. There was fear, there was anxiety, there was uneasiness, there was unrest. And yet, this widow was living in this city. The prophet Elijah, answering the call of God, met the widow in the city and asked her for a cup of water and a piece of bread. Woman said, "I, I have no bread. And I only have a handful of of flour and a little jar of oil, sir, and I plan to use it to prepare the last meal for myself and my son before we die. Elijah said, don't fear. Go and do what you have said, but make me a small cake first. Then make some for your son and yourself. For thus says the Lord of Israel, the beard of flour, watch God's provision, y'all. The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar jar of oil run dry until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. Verse 15 declares, so she went away and did according to the words of Elijah. She and her household ate for many days. Verse 16 declares, the beard of flour was not used up. Nor did the jaw of all run dry, according to the words of the Lord, which he has spoken by Elijah. So here's the reality. Here's the shout. It matters not how long COVID-19 lasts. It matters not what normal looks, what normal will look like from here on out. It matters not what humans predict, what they forecast, what they speculate, expect, or guess. What really matters. It's what God has done in the past. What God is doing in the present. And what God will do in the future. That's that's all that matters, what what our God has done, what our mighty God has done, how he's provided in the past, how he's provided right now, and and, and how he's promised to provide in the future. That's all that matters. Jesus makes this point clear as it can be. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, Jesus said to his followers in verse 24, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. There must have been some anxiety, some worries, some apprehension on behalf of Jesus' Disciples, Maybe they were looking around at society and, and looking around at the, the challenges that they faced and they got concerned. But Jesus told them, listen, I'm telling you, don't you worry. He said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He says, don't worry about what you eat. Don't worry about what you drink. Don't even worry about what you're going to put on. Notice the evidence of God's providential care in verse 26. Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. You dispelled this? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into bonds. They're not going to the grocery store, and they're not stockpiling groceries and they're not worrying. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. And are you not more valuable than? They are, in verses 28 and 30, Jesus explains that the linens of the field are clothed by God, yet they neither toil nor spin. But Solomon nor his court could match the elegance of their magnificent attire. This time, Jesus follows up his evidence of God's providential provisions with this penetrating question to. To the people, to his listening, to his listeners, to his followers, to his disciples, will God not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith. Now watch carefully as Jesus closes his case concerning the providential care of God for his people in verses 31 and 32. Jesus says, He's reiterating this. He says, therefore, do not work saying, what shall we eat? The word is saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Verse 32 says, for after all these things, the Gentiles seek. Uh, What Jesus is saying here is that Christians should not be worrying. The people of God should not be anxious about these things, about these basic necessities of life, because that's the way Gentiles, that's the way people who don't know God, people who have not accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, people who have no Holy Spirit's presence, power, and perspective on life, that's the way they operate. They worry themselves to death. They're trying to negotiate. Manipulate and even dominate circumstances and situations in hopes of getting the things they need. Jesus says in verse 33, no need for his children to be like that. He said, "But just one thing I want you to do. He said, just one thing you need to do. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what Jesus says. He says, don't worry. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So here's the shout. Here's the hallelujah. Here's the praise His holy name. Those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord can rest assured that, as Paul said in Philippians 4:19, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. Gee, you go to bed with that on your mind tonight. You go to bed with that on your mind tonight that, that come what may God will supply. Was grounded in God's preeminence, God's supremacy. You see, whatever the crisis to someone's face loomed larger than life, it was terrible and tragic, it was difficult and devastating, it was sad and sickening, and seemed like there was no end in sight. You can feel it through the words of the psalmist that these were troubling times in his life and in the life of the people of God. Yet the psalmist, faith, look past his problems and look up to God. Can I tell you that's where we ought to be? We, we ought to have the kind of faith that look past our problems and look up to God the kind of faith that looks up to God, the source of our strength and our power. From his looking up to God, the psalmist declares several transforming truths that will help us get through these troubling times. I assure you, if we would just hear from the psalmist, if we would just just apply these truths to our lives, we'll, we'll get past these troubling times. Times, no matter how long they are with us, we'll get through them. First, here it is. The psalmist shares an exhibition of God's power. That's all. The psalmist shares an exhibition of God's power. Look at verses 7 and 8. The verses read, Come behold the works of the Lord. That's what the psalmist is saying. Come take a look at the works of awesome and mighty God. God's work is on exhibition. God's work is on display all around us. God's power is on display all around us. The psalmist says, come, take a look. It says, come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolation in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He, meaning God, burns the chariot in fire. Watch this y'all. The scene is one of God's supremacy over the nations. The psalmist is saying whenever you try to worry, whenever you try to get anxious, just take a look at God's supremacy over the nations. Listen, during times of adversity, chaos, and confusion, it's helpful to remind ourselves that God, not man, that God, not woman, that God, not people, but God, God alone is ultimately in charge. Let me say that again, in times of chaos and confusion and adversity, the psalmist will remind us to look at the exhibition of God's power and come to the understanding afresh and anew that man is not in charge, woman is not in charge, irregardless of their titles, irregardless of their position, irregardless of their economic wherewithal, they are not in charge. God is the preeminent one. God is our supreme commander. God is in charge. Remember as you watch the news, regardless of the source, the venue the transforming truth is that Jehovah our God has the final say second the psalmist shares an exaltation to contemplation notice verse 10 where he writes be still and know that I am God. He's exalting exalted God. Be still and know that I am God. He's saying God is exalted. And I want you to contemplate. I want you to think about that. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The psalmist called upon his readers. And, and, and his word. Called upon those of us who name the name of Jesus. To pause from our schedule. To take a break in our proceedings. To recess our deliberations. And spend quiet time alone thinking about God. The transforming truth is that thinking about how God loves us. And thinking about how God leads us. And thinking about how God loads us us with his grace, his goodness, and his mercy. Helps us go through and grow through our troubles. Third, the psalmist shares an expression of personal confidence. I like this. Because right here now, he's getting ready to give his own personal testimony. Notice verse 11, the psalmist says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Don't miss it. The psalmist is declaring that his ultimate confidence is in God oh how sweet it is During troubling times to have personal confidence in God oh how wonderful it is to say doing times of pandemic doing times of economic uncertainty doing times of social and political Unrest, how wonderful it is to be able to say that I know God for myself. I know Him for myself, that I know that God is with me and for me. and not only is God with me and, and for me God is with and God is for everyone who trusts His Son Jesus for salvation. So here's the shout. Here's the takeaway. Here's the transforming truth for troubling times. Here is what ought to go with us. Here is what ought to sink deep into our hearts and into our minds. Here is what we ought to spend time meditating on and thinking about when God is for us. He's more than the whole world against us. Grandma Pickett told me that a long time ago when I was a little boy. She would call me to her side every once in a while when I was going through things. Maybe falling out with friends. Maybe a difficulty at school. She would always say, boy, if God is for you, he's more than the whole world against you. That ought to be your personal testimony. Here's the takeaway God is with us and for us he's more than the whole world against us When God is with us and for us he's more than a pandemic more than a failed economy more than social injustice more than our doubts and fears more than our uncertainty when God is with us and for us we can proclaim with confidence Words of hymn writer Lydia Edmonds, Edmonds, who penned these words. My faith, this ought to be our testimony, y'all. My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the everlasting one, his womb for me shall plead. Watch this. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he rose for me. I want to just remind us today that not only did he die for us, but on the third day, Sunday morning, he got up from that grave with all power in his hands. Because he has power we can face the future because God is in our lives we will make it through any troubling times that come our way if you're here today and you don't know Jesus and the free pardoning of your sin today is a mighty good day to know him all you need to do is confess your sins and commit your way to follow him Pray with me if you would. Father, I confess that I'm a sinner. I need Jesus in my life to save me. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. I yield my life wholeheartedly to you and save me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've accepted Jesus Christ today, we wholeheartedly welcome you into the family of God. Now may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord Jesus Christ always be gracious unto you and may he grant you his peace in the wonderful name of Jesus.